What's up, bikers? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar Podcast live stream. Episode 134, and we have a great guest today. We have Phil Metz from Skills with Phil. If you guys aren't familiar with him, I don't know what rock you've been hiding under as far as the YouTube space goes, but if you're just a podcast listener, maybe maybe you're not, not familiar. He runs a pretty popular, one of the most popular probably, um, mountain bike youtube channels out there one of the og creators has been around for a long time so uh always always lots of good things to talk with him about but for, before we get started the first thing i want to say to all of you is thank you for joining us today i really appreciate all of you that are here and um those of you guys that help sponsor the channel by going over there on patreon and doing your thing over there i really really appreciate all of you if any of you guys want to help out there just swing by patreon.com type in biker b1ker and you'll find it over there helps throw some beer into the fridge helps keep the camera gear from um dying on me had to buy the new gopro 11 you know so those things keep the channel afloat and i really appreciate everybody that does that it really means a lot i have for a long time, you know, go back and forth on, on wanting to get channel sponsors. And the main reason that I, I tend to, to always shy away from that, that situation is because I really like just being sponsored by, by the subscribers. And that really gives me the freedom to do whatever I want and not feel like I can, um, like I have to make a video that has an opinion that, that is maybe, uh, I wouldn't say that I would ever give an opinion that's not mine, but I would, I would think that it's harder to, to be a hundred percent honest with, um, how you feel about something. You don't want to get on and just like totally poop on something. So you probably, you know, curb it a little bit. It's understandable anyways. So outside of that, if you guys want something for free, just hit subscribe. If you're on YouTube, if you're uh, listening to the podcast, you can hit it on your, your set it to your downloads and it comes in there. And um, if you want to help out for free, swing by Apple Podcasts, write a review. That That's always good. It's super fun to go in there and read them. And uh, you can also swing by Facebook or Instagram. Give me a follow over there. And that's, that's about the way it goes. So we're going to go ahead and bring Phil back on and get started. How's it going, Phil? Hey, how are you doing? Oh man, like like I was saying, <laughs> it has been hectic for me lately, and I don't. Do you, you know how sometimes in in life that it seems like you're 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 always like, oh man, next week is going to be chill, and then I'm going to be able to do whatever I want to do, right? And, and that for not. whatever reason, next week keeps coming and being more like just as busy as the last week. But for some reason, I've just been like completely, um, like I guess, lying to myself every week for like the last month. Like it's gonna get better. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I sorry. I just got distracted. I think it like I couldn't tell if my computer fan turned on or if it just started downpouring outside. I think it's raining outside. So. Oh yeah. Where where are you living? You're up in Vermont, right? I'm in Vermont now. Yeah. How you? Last, how you? Go ahead. Uh, last time we talked. Uh, I was in Vermont, but I wasn't in this house. Right. I think you were still in school, huh? Uh, no, I was right after. It wasn't too far after school. We um, so this I think when we talked class was like right at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, wow, man. It's been it's like a lifetime ago, huh? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and we had I don't know if I even talked about this on the podcast, but we had just put um, kind of the paperwork to uh, get this house. So like. I can't remember if uh, I announced that we were moving into a house on that podcast or not. I don't remember, honestly. It, it's been so long. But um, 
how how has that experience been? I mean, being a first time home buyer. Um, honestly, because of my wife, it went extremely smooth. Yeah, I mean, how- it, it's always difficult being a like um a uh when you work for yourself and uh, you have to go to the bank and have have them do the underwriting. That was interesting. Uh, yeah, it's like. So what's this uh, YouTube thing? And they, they start questioning <laughs> every detail of like, how many employees do you have? Like how many people are dependent, dependent on your income, yada, yada. It's like, uh, just me. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that. I mean, is it, I mean, you, you get a, not a W2, but you get, you know, kind of, man, I'm trying to think about that. Like tax wise, like it, it's probably a little bit harder to show your income because I, I mean, I guess you could show what you're you're making every month and that it's pretty much the same or. Yeah. So what I ended up just uh, sending them is through like QuickBooks, it gives you like a profit loss statement. Um, mm-hmm. And like it has like all the details of like where everything's coming from, where it's going. And uh, we just sent them over two years worth of that stuff. And that seemed to answer all of the questions they had. Right on. Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting one to think about, and it could be so it could fluctuate so much, you know. Like if you had a like month that you weren't, you know, just didn't make some good videos or whatever, you know what I mean? And you could have one that like just blew up, and all of a sudden, boom, you got this huge paycheck, right? Yeah, exactly. And it also helped that um, I think that year was the first year that come off having a full time sponsor, uh-huh. or full time sponsors. Um, yeah, maybe it was like a second year i can't quite remember the details are fuzzy now but uh-huh. um that income definitely helped kind of give uh, a little bit more legitimacy to like what i was doing right right are you still carrying any sponsors or are you just completely yep. like youtube yeah no i still carried the same so i've been working with the same three sponsors basically since the beginning of uh when i officially got sponsored which is gt noble wheels and onyx hubs Oh, right on, man. There, there was a fourth in there at one point, but that was just a one-year deal, and then we didn't renew a contract. Uh huh. And you had those those sponsors as a professional writer or as a YouTuber? No, I I never had. So, at, in terms of um like real sponsorship, I never had real sponsorship as a like professional writer. Mm-hmm. It was always like, hey, here's some free product. So um, like flow kind of stuff, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so depending on what, like you know, when you're you know, 16 years old, like that's sweet. But when yeah. you're, you know, 27 and you have bills to pay, it's, it, it helps. But, um, yeah. you know, like at some point you need a little bit more, which is why you see the careers of so many racers just kind of like fizzle out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've, uh, I've been working with, uh, GT Noble, uh, and Onyx since, um, 2019. And it's like, that's real sponsorship. It's been, it just kind of like alleviates some headache that you get through YouTube and like not knowing how um, like a certain video is going to do and whatnot. So right. it kind of helps, you know, if you think of it in terms of a stock portfolio, it's diversification. Yeah, 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 totally. How did you go about getting your sponsorships? Did they come to you or? So um, yes and no. Um These were companies that I had been in touch with a little bit through various means, but this is also... Uh, back when a lot of us were working with Paul mm-hmm. and he, you know, coming from Pinkbike, he was, 
you know, much more knowledgeable about um, the like marketing space, the sponsorship space, uh, knowing mm -hmm. what to ask for and all that stuff. So he was our agent for that year. And he is, you know, essentially responsible for a lot of us getting uh, the sponsorships that we have now, or at least setting like kind of like uh, the base of like, hey, this is how much you should be asking, or this is yeah. like um, how, like what companies you should be looking for, or um, the things you should be offering. So, um, yeah. 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 That's interesting. Cause I think that's one of the things that people that get into YouTube, I mean, struggle with the most, they just have no clue, like what is acceptable for a sponsorship, you know? So it really makes it tough as a beginner because you don't even know what a baseline is, you know? Yeah. I, I had, I had a hard time with that in, uh, like racing too. Um, which is why I didn't really, um, which is why I stopped racing professionally and then end up doing YouTube because like, well, I don't know, like to me, like $3,000 seemed like a lot of money at the time and, you know, it still is, but at the time, like it seemed like a lot more. And, uh, I was like, is, is that something like you can ask for? Like, I, I, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it wasn't until I started, you know, meeting some pro riders and had some more like kind of, off the camera kind of conversations that I even had a, a, an idea of what the ballpark was, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't have guessed that it is anywhere close to what it is. Like you were saying a minute ago, like asking for $3,000 would seem, sound like a big deal, you know, like, so, um, I mean, I you, gets, you go ahead. I think it gets easier once you actually have bills to pay and yeah. you actually have like, um, you know, you, you have things that you need to like that you're responsible for. So, you know, when you have no responsibilities, you'll take anything. Right. Like, you know, that's, you'll take anything and you'd be happy with that. But once you get like real bills, you're like, yeah, man, I can't quit my job and live off that paycheck. I'm sorry. So it kind of actually right. in some ways makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. 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 I can see where you're coming from there. So you've been working with GT for uh, quite some time. And they also have uh, Hans Ray as one of their riders that they've had forever. Have you done anything like kind of collaboration with them? No. Um, the only thing we did was like when I first got uh, on board at Sea Otter, uh, we did this little collaboration together. Um, actually, I should say, and during the pandemic, uh, we did these uh, fun little videos kind of uh, remotely that we all sent to GT and they did all the editing and whatnot. Uh -huh. But that's like as much... Um, as I've really like talked with him, like, which, you know, it's kind of a bummer. Cause like once I got sponsored with a, like by GT did see otter and then kind of the pandemic hit. And then it's like mm -hmm. travel even last year was a little bit like, mm. yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to like, seems like this year is kind of, kind of coming back. I know sea otter definitely was, busier than the one it was the year before but it didn't quite feel like the way it was like pre-pandemic yeah and, i mean uh, go ahead also last year was the year that like they had almost two in a row because they had the one in the fall and then the one in the yeah spring so it was kind of a yeah. weird yeah they did that with the sedona too where it was like november and then again in march so i think a lot of people were like some people went in november because it had been a while and then they were just like, I don't need to go right back like a couple months later. So, 
Um, I also feel in many ways that the Sedona Bike Festival has kind of taken a little bit of the thunder. I mean, like, like Sea Otter is a whole bike industry, and Sedona is more of just like a mountain bike specific and almost more niche. Um, yeah. But I know a lot of the mountain bike companies seem to. Um, I think everyone just like, likes Sedona a lot more. Yeah, I think Sedona, like the the key to Sedona, is just that the amount of riding that's right there, whether you're like riding straight from the event or like within just like that short little, like a short drive in a few minutes, every direction is like amazing ride. So it's really hard to think of another place that would have that kind of, you know, acts trail access to that much stuff, you know? Yeah, maybe, maybe Whistler. I don't know. Like, it, I, I'm, I'm sure there's maybe another, but like, at least Sedona. So like, it's just like the scenery is like, it's not many other places like it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I was thinking there's a lot of trails in the Bend area, but it's definitely not something that would be laid out the way that like the Sedona Bike Fest is. You've, you've been to a bunch of uh, uh, different fests. So would you say that Sedona is probably the, the next biggest one compared to Sea Otter? I, I, I don't think I've been to actually that many. Um, yeah. Because uh, Sedona, King, uh, Number Fest, and the Santos Fat Tire Festival in Ocala, Florida, and maybe like one or two others. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think like one more bigger ones would like it's almost not even like a a uh bike specific one is uh crankworks well i mean it's bike specific but it's almost more of a that's more of the, like the race and the or the like kind of the slope style stuff or whatever yeah i mean like, like watching the pros basically yeah i mean crankworks is just a whole like it's a well-run machine like that like it's a really cool event uh-huh even if you're just like even if you're not competing it's it's a fun time because um i mean there are a bunch of vendors set up throughout the town that you can, you know, like any other festival, but there's not really any demos like that. So if you're going to demo a bike, it's not the place for that. Right, right. Um, have you been to like any outer bike or anything like that? No, I've never, you know, there's a lot of like core industry events that never seemed to appeal to me. And like at the time, like, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that's how you get sponsorships is you go to those <laughs> events and you network. Right. Gee, I wonder why I never got sponsored. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, no, I, I uh, that's definitely like for me, I mean, I, I don't necessarily go for looking for sponsorship, but uh, a lot of the guests that I have that more like industry kind of company guests and stuff like that, that all comes from going to sea otter or 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 sedona and basically just collecting a bunch of cards and then following up with people all year long so it definitely helps i, I haven't been to any of the east coast festivals and and uh just recently i i had gone home um and was having some people talk to me about some different events back there and i was thinking that i should maybe like maybe try to go one of the to one of those or I've heard that that uh, Florida one mentioned a bunch of times by people. And then somebody was telling me about one in Pennsylvania that's pretty big. I think that's uh, Dirt Fest. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be it. Yeah. 
I think there's two of them. There's one in Pennsylvania, and then there might be another in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're usually like within a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I I haven't ridden. So I'm I'm from Pennsylvania originally. I don't I don't know if you remember that or not, but um, I uh, I learned how to mountain bike there. So you know, it's super rocky and rudy and whatnot. And I I kind of thought that that's why like today this type of riding that i really enjoy is that super technical kind of stuff you know more so than than maybe the flow stuff so when i went back on this trip it was actually the first time that i've mountain biked in in pennsylvania in like 30 years and uh holy cow it's like the tech there really was um humbling to say to say the least and you've traveled a bunch, uh, you know, I'd say globally. What, what do you think about the tech there in, in Vermont? It's funny, like every every state has its own kind of tech and it's all slightly different, especially in the East, like Northeast. And it's all very, uh, it's all difficult in different ways. Yeah. Um, Ver- Vermont is actually like, w- we have a lot more dirt than some of our, uh, other uh, northeastern counterparts, um, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people like coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of our tech is a little bit more to do with the fact that there's like it's more predominantly root, like rooty and wet. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you like go to like New Hampshire, there's a lot more roots and rocks mixed together. You go to like New York and into Pennsylvania, it gets more into like shaley rocks and stuff which is like a whole nother beast so like every single one of like the states because of just like the geography is totally different yeah yeah it definitely was um it was definitely more challenging than i remembered to put it that way and i'm sure you know trails have evolved a lot since when i first was riding back there mostly what we were riding was hiking trails and nowadays you know you have purpose-built mountain bike trails and uh not to like toot my own horn but i don't i don't wreck very often you know what i mean like it uh you know you'll have a little mix mishap here and there but it doesn't seem to be uh i'm more of a cautious rider so that type of thing doesn't happen very often and i like had two pretty serious like otbs in the time that i was there like in the matter of one ride you know it was like holy shit man like like it definitely made me realize that like maybe my skill set it, it wasn't tuned for riding in that kind of environment anymore. You know what I mean? Maybe you're just having an off day. Yeah, maybe <laughs> who knows, right? It just I, I even noticed going through the woods though that like to track where the trail was, that I was not being able to like capture it as quickly as i would like riding out here is where i ride most of the time you know and having all that leaf scatter all over the place it it like camouflaged the trail more and i and it made me realize that it's definitely um it's like a skill set that you have to have for that area you know it's interesting that you say that because i found that um uh the place that comes to mind was sedona like trying to ride trails out in sedona was really tricky because there was none of that there were no trees flanking the side of the trail that you were kind of relying on um like the blazes painted on the rock or some of the um the uh 
ducks or whatever. Like, but it was yeah. really strange to look ahead and see where you're going. Cause sometimes it just didn't make intuitive sense to me. Yeah, no, I agree with you there too. Um, I wasn't really thinking about that where you, you're either looking for like Karen's or just like where in the, in the rock to kind of figure out where you're going. But um, yeah, I, for whatever reason, being in the woods back there, it was definitely, uh, definitely different where I had to really think about how my wheels were hitting the rocks in particular, because um, like where we have rocks out here, everything's so dry. So if, if anything, it's like a granite kind of rock. So it's like if your tire hits it, you kind of, you really grab it well. Where over there, it was just, they slide sideways and turn your handlebars and do all kinds of funky stuff, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, where in Pennsylvania were you? I was in the, in like kind of in Caledonia area, kind of in the middle of the state. Okay. So was the dirt kind of red? Um, no, it was a little bit more like, like, regular brownish color just a lot of rock there a lot of that shaley kind of rock you were talking okay. about even that sometimes can like have a high like clay content out there yeah and, like find that the rocks are pretty smooth and like don't offer much grip yeah yeah i definitely um definitely definitely was noticing that so it was it was it it, it shot me around a bit you know so It'll be a fun edit. It'll be a fun video to edit and uh, see what actually turns out. It was that that one particular day. You ever have those those rides where you go out to film and it just seems like everything goes wrong? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was one of those. The first run, I, I like basically filmed, you know, whatever I was talking about going up the hill. And, you know, that's just like kind of filler. It's not going to be the most the main part of the video. Right. So I do the downhill run and get to the bottom. And I realized somehow I switched my GoPro to slow-mo mode. So <laughs> basically oh. that whole run was just worthless. And then uh, the second one, I was just wiping out all over the place. And then the third one, I tried to beat the sun. And um, let's just say the sun came down way faster than, than I got down the hill. <laughs> um, did you make it out? Um, well, I'm still here, but it was definitely, <laughs> um, I, I have never ridden my mountain bike with my iPhone in one hand using that as a light before, but I, now I can't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy. Um, yeah, yeah. Have you had one of those disaster videos like where you're trying to record like that? I, I've had videos where I start off and I, I just like, I get into the video or into the day. I'm just like not feeling it. Mm -hmm. And like, I try to push through it and like, and just something like goes wrong. And like, at some point it's just like, I just know my energy level, like, isn't there. Cause like, I try to make my videos as real as possible, like as true to self. Mm -hmm. But sometimes like I have off days that I know it's just, like, man, like this, this is just going to be one of those videos where it's like a real doozy, like, it, like really like low energy, like nothing's really happening. Kind of like, mm -hmm. um, and so I, it was actually pretty recently that I ended up scratching one of those videos and it was at an event and it was just like, and that ended up being a bit too busy at the event, which is usually pretty good. Like at Crankworks, like I've had a really good luck, like getting really good content there. Cause like, there's a lot of people you're running into talking to new people, but this ended up just being, um, the, the trailers were super packed. The, uh, so like, like you were just leapfrogging the same groups over and over, um, and 
the trails weren't my favorite. So I ended up just scrapping that video and uh, yeah, trying to figure something out for the next day. It's always hard to, to get yourself to that spot where you're, you're putting a lot of time into these edits, you know, and you're a couple hours in and you you come to a point where you just realize this isn't going to work, you know, and you just have to let it go. And that's always hard to do. Usually what I'll try to do then is like, maybe I can just wrap it up at that and give it to people on, on Patreon and just say, Hey, this, this is as far as this one's getting <laughs> you guys, here you go. It's not, nobody else is going to see it. So, uh, you know, and then it's kind of a little something, then you don't feel like you totally wasted it, you know? Yeah. I, you know what I've, I've accepted the fact that I pretty much always ride with a camera now. Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, I, there's rides where I like, I call them after work rides where I go with Haley and just kind of putt putt. Um, where we don't putt putt, but like we go for just after work ride and have a half yeah, show yeah. on, but then there's like weekend rides. And I've just like accepted that I just wear a camera at all times. Cause like, it's just kind of nice to be able to like, even if I never post any of that content, just look back on, um, like how like the trails have changed at different um, bike yeah. parks year to year. Um, and for, for me, as someone who has a hard time remembering names and like a lot of people would know my name, just remembering people, like it helps yeah. me a lot. Just kind of like, I'm pretty sure I recorded them saying their name and I can yeah. kind of go back and reference that. So like for me, that's super helpful. It's like yeah. a dash cam. Yeah, yeah, totally. I've also noticed that at least for me in the last year, I've really started using footage from old rides a lot more. So I have like, I'll know like mentally, oh, I have some drone footage from that spot or, hey, while I'm telling this story on this new video, I mentioned sea otter and I can show like a little clip of it while I'm talking about it, you know, and where before it was every video, the video that was used in it was only recorded for that video. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I've started doing uh, quite a bit of that too. And for similar reasons, it's just like, you never know when that really boring shot of you just riding on a road, getting to the trailhead is going to come in handy. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy. I used to not even care wh whether or not like that stuff, like I used to say, oh, if I lost all my old footage, I wouldn't even care. And now I'm, I've definitely gone through the process of making sure I have like backups and redundancy and all that stuff. Cause I'm like, I see the value in it now. What's your, uh, what's your creative process? Like, do you have the idea for the video or do you shoot the video and then have the, like come up with the idea and editing? I mean, lately I've gone to what I call more of a documentary style where, mm -hmm. um, I found for myself the videos that do the best are the videos that are more the most authentic to um, a data bike park. So there's no planning, just kind of, I mean, apart from like which bike park I'm going to go to, which mm -hmm. I sometimes literally decide the day of um, mm -hmm. like some of my post most popular videos or um, like the Windrock uh, Tennessee video, that video I decided like in the morning, yeah, let's go there. And yeah, uh, that's one of my most popular videos right now. Um, so my creative process is there is none anymore. <laughs> there, there, there used to be some, um, uh -huh. especially with the skill stuff. But now that I'm more doing kind of POV stuff, um, it's it's a serendipity of the day that makes something so interesting. You could go to the same bike park five times and 
out over the five days, you're going to have two, like five complete different stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you're kind of moving to POV where it seems like a lot of people on YouTube are moving away from it. What do you, do you, do you think that like makes you stand apart or do you think that you just have enough audience that it doesn't matter? No, for me, I, I really struggled with, um, being able to put out content on a regular basis. And mm -hmm. there, there was like a time on YouTube where if you didn't post a video for months, like your channel, like had committed suicide, like, yeah. um, and so I, I think you can, with the algorithm, you can get away with that a little bit more now. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, it's like, I, if you kind of look at my, uh, how many videos I've posted compared to a lot of like other big creators. I actually had relatively few videos mm -hmm. and I felt like, um, if you look at all of those videos as like a, like a way for someone to get to your channel, I had very few like doors to my channel. Mm -hmm. So I, I essentially wanted to like kind of go back and like create a backlog of videos of stuff that, people tend to really like anyway. Cause like all of my comments, like on some of my skills videos are like, Oh, we prefer to POV stuff. Like some of the building stuff. Oh, we prefer to POV stuff. And I was like, well, I'm not going to argue with that. If you guys like really like that, it's not too difficult for me to make. Yeah. But I also really enjoy riding my bike and interacting with people. Um, but it, like, it got to a point with the skill videos um, that was just like really hard to like, I, I, I don't want to be a broken record. There's only so many skills you can teach. And mm -hmm. after a certain point, you just sound like you're just repeat. like, you know, I'll use GMBN as like an example where they're kind of doing the same video over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them because like, you know, you can always explain something a little bit different, but a lot right. of this stuff is mm, kind of the same. How to manual 2023. Exactly. <laughs> how to manual on a 26 inch, how to manual on a 27.5, how to manual on a 29er, how to manual yeah, on yeah. a bullet bike. Yeah. <laughs> and the like for a while, like when we first moved into the property, I was doing a little bit more hands-on building stuff, but I just get so like in tune to like a building project that a video would start taking one month to make. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, the next project would take even longer and longer. And like, you know, before I knew it, like I hadn't released a video for like two months and yeah. like, are you still making videos? And so for me, like, um, my, like, you know, this is in the middle of pandemic, my mental health yeah. was kind of struggling. Like there, there was a lot of things going on and I was like, you know what, like, we're going to kind of go back to the basics and do something I like I can do on a repeatable basis. And then mm -hmm. we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what happened to me with um, why I started doing a little biker short videos where it, I, I, um, I do like a 90 second review on things. Yep. And my idea was kind of just, you know, when you stop on the side of the trail and you ask your buddy if he likes his pedals, he doesn't talk to you for 15 minutes. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, it's like this, yes, this, no, and buy them if, if you like them, right? You know? And, uh, but it was the same thing. It's like, I can go out, I can record. 15 of them in, in like two hours and I can release that content like once a week while I'm getting around to the longer content video where just like what you said, like it, it's, it's like, I can like spend my time on creating that and, and I, then I don't feel bad about 
hey, nothing's nothing's been posted for a while, you know? Yeah, I think for me, the other like big thing is if you go back to my channel, like from the start, it's been all over the place in terms mm -hmm. of like what content I've been like posting. So to be honest, this year will be kind of the first year that I've consistently posted a video almost every single week the whole year. Oh, wow. Good job, dude. Because um, like in the previous years, like I would go like, you know, a long period of time without posting a video, like in the middle of the summer when people are yeah. expecting a lot of videos and it's like, mm, I just want to yeah. ride right now. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing is like my content changed like a ton. Like, you know, sometimes it was skills videos. Sometimes it was like uh, top 10 videos. Sometimes it was a product review. So it's kind of like a smorgasbord and like all over the place. And mm -hmm. I, I really don't enjoy doing review videos like, of any kind. Um, yeah. I don't like talking about stuff. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like I can have a conversation with my friend and geek out about stuff, but mm -hmm. trying to make a video about the same stuff, I like, I see the questions like in the comment sections, like, and I try to answer those as I'm recording it. And I just like, my mind's going in 500 different directions and I'm stumbling over my words. I'm like, I'm not having fun anymore. I'm just trying to do damage control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um, also hate doing review videos and I, but I guess in my mind, it, it's like kind of known like views, like reviews get views, you know, because people are looking for, you know, some something to do with that product. Right. And uh, for me, I would always get stuck, like over analyzing. I need to have all these awesome B-roll shots like trail features does. And, you know, these other guys get all these like beautiful shots of of the 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 product. And and I would just like paralyze myself by trying to record this amazing video and um i think for me then the 90 second thing was like hey i can get some review videos out there and be able to just uh just like spit it out real quick and be done with it you know yeah yeah i i so i watched the one on the you just got a uh small chainsaw oh yeah 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 i used that one uh, how that are you one. liking that thing dude that thing's like honestly i never had a chainsaw before and that thing is so rad like I spent the whole year before that building with a, with a handsaw mm -hmm. and um, it was like, I came to the 21st century, man. It was like, holy crap, dude, you can cut this tree down in seconds. You know? I had never used a chainsaw until we uh, bought our property. And then once we started doing some like trail work, we had like uh -huh. this giant maple that I knew I was going to have to um like cut through and like because there was a windstorm before we bought the house so there's like a ton of trees like in the woods that were like all falling over mm -hmm. and it was really scary like especially yeah. at first because and I, I i was coming like using a gas saw so it was like really loud like you know i didn't grow up with like small engines so like just like priming like all all yeah. that stuff mixing the gas was totally new to me Haley knew more than that like me about that stuff um she used to work on a christmas tree farm and uh -huh. anyway um but then at some point, um, I ended up getting one of those Dewalt electric chainsaws. And man, I can't tell you the last time I used my uh, gas one. I'm, I use that electric one almost every week. Yeah. Yeah. The thing's amazing. And it's like light enough that you could kind of get in some like awkward angles if you need to. Because there's a lot of uh, chaparral and manzanita where I build. So it's, it's pretty tight usually where you're cutting. So it, it's definitely... Um, 
that thing's amazing. I don't know about yours, but does yours leak oil like I was talking about in mine? So I, I also have a Dewalt and um, the, the body of it is basically the same. So I'm like 90% sure it uses the same uh, bar oil cover. And mm -hmm. not only does it leak oil, the thing that I don't like about that specific one is it's cupped. Like if you look at the um, where the top goes in, the top mm -hmm. is like flush with the body of the chainsaw. Okay. Because it's kind of like recessed. So when you go to pour oil in, if you accidentally dribble some on the side, it kind of funnels it into the um, the bar bar oil reservoir, which oh, makes sense. And, you know, like however, if you have like a bunch of like wood chips on your chainsaw, they just go in there. You can't clean them out before you like pull that top. And so they yeah. end up falling into um, that thing. And I've had issues with the oil pump, not pumping oil to the bar because it's clogged. So I have to like disassemble. Well, first time I didn't know where it was clogged. So I ended up disassembling the whole chainsaw, figuring out where it was. And mm -hmm. it turned out I could have probably just cleaned out the uh, reservoir itself. But mm -hmm. um, like it was one of those things where it's like, I got another Dewalt uh, chainsaw like a few weeks ago to like, it's a longer one, mm -hmm. um, but this is a more professional grade and it's a different uh, design. So like that's like, it's actually like protruding. So if any chips get on the chainsaw, yeah. it's not going to go into, um, it's like a standard cap. Like cap Yeah, yeah, that up. totally makes sense what you're saying. I was wondering about that and I didn't, I'm glad that you said that to me because I'm sure it's going to end up clogging on me one of these days. And now I at least know like what to, what to do because, uh, yeah, because I, I was thinking about that because I'll have all kinds of wood chips and stuff like all over there. And when you open it up, you're like, I guess this stuff just falls in there. I don't know. I, I was assuming there was some kind of filter, but I guess not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I, I got to the point where I was like routinely cleaning it um, either before or after using it to like try to minimize how much, you know, I spent the whole like better part of a day like just fiddling around with that thing trying to get it back together yeah yeah the only the only problem i've had is i had one day where it was overheating on me because i think it was just so hot and we were just i was continuously using it for like hours you know what i mean and and uh i thought i thought it was broken i was thinking it was like oh man that sucks i've only had this thing for a couple of months and now it's not working anymore but once i took it home and it cooled off it fired up just fine next time so i guess it's just i was just using it like consistently too long you know yeah i, I wonder if it's the batteries because i know the batteries sometimes like heat up past like um or get too cold and won't um make work yeah 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 who knows i mean i, I haven't had the problem again since then so it was a hot day and like i said um I would expect that probably when they built that thing, they weren't expecting you to be like it to be running like continuously for hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've definitely used mine above its uh, design use. Yeah. 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 I was like you said, though, I was I was kind of paranoid to use it because I had a friend that like almost cut his arm off with one of those things. Like it kicked back on him, you know, and um Another guy recently, you know, the, the creator, um, no front brakes. He had a little yep. electric chainsaw incident recently too. And, and it's just one of those things where it's like, man, and like where I'm building, I'm kind of way out there. It would really suck to have something happen. And 
then then what are you going to do you know yeah i i definitely approached the chainsaw with an abundance of caution and yeah. now that i've like used it a lot more and kind of um you know figured out like what to watch out for i'm a little bit less careful like yeah you know, i should be wearing chaps but i you know honestly it's like when you need to go do something really quickly it's yeah. it's just one of those things so yeah. i to me it's just like you know just be cautious but at the same time like if you know i have to walk back to the house get the chaps like it's to me at that yeah. point the job's not gonna get done yeah i'm i'm definitely i've definitely noticed that i've become complacent with the the safety kind of aspect of it there's been a couple of times where i was cutting something funny and the blade popped through and then it was like oh shit that was pretty close to my foot you, you know what i mean where it's like okay man you need to like take a step back and stop like focusing on what you're doing and start thinking about like the ramifications of if you screw up you know yeah i mean like the like the two things that i like won't um uh... Like at least one thing that I like won't go without protection is ear protection. For some reason, like that's just something that like, you know, I might be like shirtless or I'm, I don't chainsaw shirtless, but like I could be shirtless <laughs> and in shorts, I'll be in a chainsaw, but I'll yeah. always have ear protection on. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and you, same with eye protection though. Sometimes I'll do safety squints. Like if like, I'm just going to do something really quickly, but yeah. you know, I, I like, I do like, you, you can't get your hearing back. You can't get your eyesight back. So yeah. I, I try to preserve that. Yeah. I'm usually wearing like riding glasses. So I, I have like the protection in that aspect, but uh, the hearing one, I, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't really thinking about it. Cause it's like that electric one's not super loud, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's still loud enough where it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I know it's like above the decibel range where if like you listen to it for a long enough time, it yeah. will like mess up your hearing. That makes sense. I should, I should definitely consider that. So, so you did a lot of building when you moved into your new home. How did all of the, the, the that series work out? I mean, like you said, the, the videos take a lot longer to make, but did they like, did people respond well to them? Yeah, there was a really good response with that. Um, and I think there is like, especially early on in pandemic, like everyone like was really excited to see that stuff. And then it dropped off pretty quickly. You think? Yeah, because like I ended up doing some more stuff later on and did not have the same uh, same effect on YouTube. So I think that's why I was like, all right, well, I'm going to continue to build and I'm going to film it, um, mm -hmm. but I'm going to film it just with a GoPro and I'm just going to have a whole backlog of footage. And whenever I have some extra time, I'll like, edit another video. And I've started posting that on like a secondary YouTube channel, which is a little bit more... Uh, uh, less polished but it kind of like shows the overview of a project and I kind of show like uh, piece by piece of a project that I'm doing mm -hmm. but like it's very uh you know it's not like there's no voiceover or anything included in that kind of video right right just kind of like more a little bit of a, like a raw channel almost yeah I mean it's still like you know I I'll talk to the camera like in person but I won't go back and like edit the video and put a voiceover like you know if I have to, I'll put a little text box, kind of like how people used to annotate stuff back in the day. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll, I'll do like one of those. But like for me, it's like the more editing I do to a video, the less I want to make that video. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to find the balance of like 
where, where, like, what's, what am I willing to put into a video? And if it goes above a certain point, I'm not going to make the video. So I'm going to try to bring it down below that point. So I at least make the video. That's interesting that you say that because I think I struggle with something similar. Like what I was talking about, like kind of paralyzing myself with the edit earlier. I, I found myself doing that more and more lately. So it gets harder and harder for, I, I feel like once I start, like I can, I kind of like ADD. So I will just like get sucked into it and there's nothing else in my world, but it's just getting me actually get started. Like I'll, I, I, it's hard for me to lock in when I know it's going to be complicated, you know? Yeah. And so I've like, if you go back to my very first like skills video and even my first like um, kind of shredded that I made on like a pump track, if you look at those in the big picture for like a first video context, those are really like high bars set for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I've since kind of reeled it back a little bit. Like I think my videos are now better, but mm -hmm. I put a ton of effort trying to make sure that every little thing was perfect, you know? And then now there's a lot of things that I look at. I'm like, yeah, that might be a mistake, but I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, like back in the day, I used to like, it, it was just really hard to get good audio if you didn't spend a lot of money. Yeah. And so I would always try to like come up with different ways to get the camera. And I like you need a wide angle uh, lens to get the camera close to you. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have a budget for like a super wide angle lens. So like it was trying to like figure out ways to like sneak a recorder in the back and all these weird things. And like at, by the end of the day, like I wouldn't enjoy making the videos. Mm -hmm. How many subscribers do you have on your channel now? I'm at five, uh, like five hundred and forty thousand, somewhere around okay. there, plus or minus uh, eight or something like that. Do you feel like it was like a certain point in your growth that you were like you stopped looking at the subscribers and you just started like? focusing on just making whatever you wanted to make? I mean, I think it's t hard to completely not pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. However, I think uh, the way YouTube has evolved as a platform, they steer people away from the subscribe button now and because they, they want people to go to their home feed, uh, which is like somewhat algorithmic and somewhat um, of a, your subscription feed. And that's where they want you to get your content from now. Yeah. And okay. So for, for me, like the metric has changed. Like there was a like point in time where like my channel was gaining a ton of subscribers. And then if you compare my, how I'm doing now compared to then it's, I'm not gaining nearly as much, but that's not necessarily because my content has changed. It's kind of like the channel or the platform has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the platform's definitely changed and you, you see it kind of evolving all the time. Right now, the whole shorts kind of thing is is really becoming relevant. Are you making content like that? So I I was actually on TikTok um, a while ago and um, I, I really, oddly enough, I really like TikTok as both mm -hmm. a consumer and a uh, creator. Um, however the amount of effort I would need to put into where I like you need to put into TikTok is more than people think. Um, mm -hmm. And 
like for the way I'd want to do it, which is a little bit more responding to questions. Um, and I like, I had some like really good success, like on TikTok and whatnot, but then I just like my attention span kind of like fizzled out. Like I, I could only be like hundred percent on one platform, right? Or mm-hmm. else I'd be like 2% on the, all the platforms. So yeah, I ended yeah. up kind of like, I just lurk right now on um, TikTok and I like, my most of my feed is nothing to do with bikes um mm-hmm. but i'm on like as a consumer i'm on tiktok all the time so to me it tells me that it's a very relevant place to be um mm-hmm. but as a creator i'm not really doing much there as far as shorts go um i've been dabbling with putting some out here and there um just trying to see what the response is because like um i put some out last year mm-hmm. and uh these are more or less writing clips and this is when the uh, shorts was first announced. And like, I, the comments just annoyed me because I was like, Oh, get this vertical video out of my feed, yada, yada. Um, which I wish YouTube would just not put it in your subscription box. I wish they would like put it in like a different feed. So people Mm -hmm. like, if you published a short, it wouldn't go to your normal, like uh, subscription feed. Mm -hmm. I would prefer if, YouTube did that. I'd probably post more shorts. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy making the short form content, or um, it's different kind of content. Like I, for TikTok, I enjoyed it because it gave mm-hmm. me a different kind of creative process. On YouTube, I kind of just took little snippets of my videos and just kind of mm-hmm. like cut them down. Um, yeah. So there wasn't like a huge like, creative process there. Just kind of like finding um, a few like snippets that like were buried in videos that were moments that people probably didn't see. Yeah. Yeah. And try to like bring some light. Cause there's like, you know, you, I'm sure you have it. Like you have videos that just don't do well for some reason, but like yeah. there's a point in the video that's like, man, this is like the greatest uh, clip ever. And no yeah. one never sees that. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you there. So I've been trying yeah. to like play around with like sprinkling some of the, I guess like the underrated moments, uh, in shorts right now and seeing how that goes i think i remember seeing something that youtube has like some new feature that's getting ready to come out something like that where you can actually take snippets of your own videos and then publish them to like for your for your subscribers or something like that because somebody had mentioned it to me about using it to make clips of of my podcast here yeah go ahead Sorry, I, I keep interrupting you. No, no, we both. It, I, there's just like a little baby lag when you're using the, the internet. And I think that little bit, tiny bit of lag is enough for like people to, to be like, oh, it's time for me to talk, you know? So I do it all the time too. So don't worry about it. <laughs> so to your point, um, actually in one of my most recent videos, um, I knew about that feature. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to try something. Cause like if I take a normal, like wide angle clip and try mm-hmm. to fit it into a video, you're going to crop in. It's going to be like super zoomed in. Right. It just looks awful. Yeah. Um, so what I did is I took a segment with a 360 cam mm-hmm. and s- put that in the video and like kind of snuck it in there in some ways. And I tried to, uh, I was going to take that and turn that into one of those shorts. Cause mm-hmm. like once you crop in on that, that that feels more like at home on uh yeah the, like tick or uh the shorts feed 
Right, right. Um, but YouTube's like the way they uh, go about compressing that file is so awful that that <laughs> footage was completely unusable. Wow. So I, I like I like I had all this like thing planned out and I tried yeah. it and just it wasn't gonna work so I didn't even post it. Yeah, you know what I've been thinking about doing is because uh, you can you can record the GoPro in that aspect the sideways aspect ratio, and I was thinking about going out on a ride, you know where the rides were like I wouldn't normally actually just be fit, like filming for some kind of video. Where you were talking about like the after work rides or like to me like a training ride or whatever and uh just wearing a camera on one of those but recording it in that other aspect so then that way whenever you get home you could like hey that little rocky shoot that's really cool like you can make a 15 second video and it's already shot in the right way you know yeah man i was so i have the insta go um two Mm -hmm. tiny little like it's like almost like an airpod case uh that has a camera inside it i was really hoping that camera would like be like the perfect camera for that because like it's so small you can just slip onto your visor it can do vertical video but it's like still like i don't know something about the the wide angle lens was just mm -hmm. too cropped down like i just i don't want to bring a gopro with me on a after work ride yeah because i think they weigh a lot i feel like i I need to wear my full face in it because I never find that like my half shells stabilize uh, are like heavy enough or hold onto my head enough to like prevent it from shaking around. So anytime yeah. I mount like a GoPro on one of those like helmets, it's just, like footage is awful and not yeah. to mention not safe. Yeah. 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 I am. Um, I was hoping that the new session that they were bringing out was going to be super light, but it, it, it really isn't that much lighter when they release the specs. It's like, like not very many grams less, you know? So it's like they took the extra screens out, but when you look at the weight, you're like, well, it still weighs more, I think than an old hero four did, you know? Yeah. I, I was really hoping they would kind of use it a little bit more of the like same form factor. Cause like one of the beauties of the original session was like, you just, it was so easy to like turn it from, um horizontal to vertical yeah um and it was also super super compact so you could fit it into little nooks and crannies that the other cameras couldn't fit um now you know the new gopro has like a much wider or like a much taller sensor than in years past so in some ways they rotating the camera isn't a necessity anymore you can get vertical video with a regular gopro yeah. um but it's still like it's still not it's still heavy yeah like the new gopros are really heavy yeah i've been thinking in my head that it would be rad if they could just make like the camera lens and a battery and some way that it wirelessly transmits to the rest of it you know, and then you could just carry this like brick in your backpack and then you would have this super light, you know, thing that you can mount somewhere else. Even if you had like, let's just say for a chest mounted one, like if I had just the camera on my chest and then I could like run a little wire through my shirt and into my, my, my hip pack, like, I feel like, dude, that would be so rad, you know, to have something just like really light on the front there and 
you'd be able to, you know, place it better. I don't know. Yeah. I, the, the, what was it? The GoPro bones, like, seems like if you could kind of do that, it's not that much smaller. If you look at like the footprint of it, but it's definitely lighter. And if you wanted to like tinker with something, you could do that. But like, I, like I, I thought about it for a while. It's like, I had zero interest in trying to figure that out, even though I don't yeah. think it would be terribly hard. It'd just be time consuming. Yeah. Yeah. I was working on a, um, uh, a chest mount, a new chest mount. That's more like a, uh, a magnetic one. And I was thinking that, um, maybe just that alone will, will make me a little happier and we'll, we'll see if I, I was like real, I bought a 3d printer a while ago. Have you ever done any of that? No, that those are what, like, I'm really interested in it. I just know with how like spread out right now I am. It's one of those things where I wouldn't be able to dedicate the time needed to like actually like learn to use it proficiently. Yeah. That's why I was afraid to buy one too. And finally one day I like broke down and did it. And it, it was, it was definitely a time suck for a while, but one of the projects that I really was like all after at the beginning was building that, that chesty, but, um, for whatever reason, I lost interest. <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe I'll, I'll rekindle that flame here in, in the winter now that it starts raining and stuff and I won't be able to ride as much. So what, um, when you were building at your house, um, I know you did a lot of building in the past. Was it different? Like, was it uh, some, some way different? Because now it was your property and there was zero like restrictions or yeah actually it's almost it had the opposite effect now that i was building on my own land i wanted to make sure i wasn't completely uh messing up the ecosystem oh yeah okay and like it, it, it like feels like i started approaching trail building from a different um just kind of flipped how i looked at trail building a little bit more um i also should say like we ended up buying an excavator so mm -hmm. like we could move dirt and do a lot more damage really quickly. But yeah. um, it's really easy to dig a real, like make a big mess with an excavator. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Um, and so for me, it was like, it was an interesting process where I hadn't used an excavator a little bit before, but I hadn't used it in the woods. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was just a lot of fun trying to like learn how to use it in the woods and then build trail that when you would go to ride it, whether it was in like a week or a few months or a few years, that to make it look like it wasn't built by a machine. Right. And that is very tricky. Like, yeah. It gave me a whole new respect for uh, like machine, like good machine built trails. There's plenty of really bad machine built trails, mm -hmm. but I would say a lot of the good machine built trails you don't even realize are machine built. Mm-hmm. Are you happy with your trail system back there? Is like, does oh, it yeah. feel done to you or do you feel like there's still more that you want to do? Oh, uh, <laughs> we're, we're definitely not done. Um, but this year, um, we, we have one more project. It's funny. Cause like, I don't work in a, a linear fashion. I don't start at the beginning and work my way to the end. Mm-hmm. I work on a section of trail that I feel like is the most takes the most priority mm -hmm. or will be the most like useful in terms of connecting different sections. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I started a trail last fall that kind of made use of a part of a property that um, was pretty wet and would be very useful. Like if we got it up and running and it mm-hmm. did, um, but like then it was just kind of like this middle part of a trail that didn't have a beginning or didn't have an end. <laughs> so it like, in, like in most people's brains, that doesn't make any sense, but right. I, there was other things that like where I wanted the trail to start. There were like a bunch of other things that I needed to do to that section before I started building up there. Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of things I needed to do beforehand. But anyway, we built this really cool trail that starts at the top of where our dirt jumps is and then snakes all the way down, crosses um, a stream twice and um, like snakes all along. And the only like the last project I was working on was um, all rock work because mm-hmm depending on where you are in our property that the climate is or the geography is totally different. You have like sandy stuff up top, like um, where it's a little bit more loamy and then you get into the woods. It's a little bit more uh, pine tree kind of, and then you go down and then like you have a bunch of like ferns, rocks and birch trees. And yeah, it's like, uh, like soggy and marshy down there. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so it was tricky because like, you know, I'm trying to do like, think about how water is going to flow. And like, I want these to be used. Not only do I want these to be used in the summer, but like we also cross country ski out there. Mm-hmm. So these are also going to be our cross country ski trails or snowshoeing trails to do something in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, how, so, how big is the property? Uh, it's, it's a little over six acres. Yeah. So you got a pretty decent amount of space then to, to deal with. And is, is it pretty good? Like elevation loss there or? Yeah, I mean, it's good enough where you can have about a minute um, or just under a minute long worth of a trail. Yeah, yeah, that's super fun then. So, and then then a little decent climb back up and you can just lap and lap and lap then. Well, it's, so the, the cool thing about it, it's like, it's it's an L shape. Uh-huh. And like, so this one's like long and skinny and this is kind of like tucked away in the woods. So you can, and this is all a slope down to this point down here. Mm-hmm. And this trail or this stuff is all sloped down to here. So it's almost like a V where this is like the bottom of the trail network. The V, the, the point of the V for those of you listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's all <laughs> right. Don't worry about it. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, yeah. So like all the trails funnel down to that point. And uh-huh. so you have two completely like separate climbs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So it actually works like works out really well but if you're trying to like you know make make the property a farm it's terrible for that because right it's, right it's hard to access like the some stuff in the back and it's yeah but for a mountain biker you're like this is sweet yeah exactly <laughs> right on that's super cool um what what a, like you guys you're in you're in vermont so you get a, a pretty decent winter up there um what do you do for content in the winter um i hibernate yeah, just that's it, man. Work on all the stuff you recorded over the summer. Mm, kind of. I so last year I had content all the way up to uh, mid January, and that's mm-hmm. when I kind of like ran out of pre-recorded stuff. Mm-hmm. So I did a few, like one or two videos of like. Um, that's when I actually did like a product review video where I talked about flat pedal shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did a video about my editing process. I also did a video about. Um, maybe camera settings 
Like mm-hmm. I, I sprinkled a few of those videos in there. Um, and w- what I noticed is like, it's just not a whole lot of mountain bikers looking for mountain bike content in the winter. Yeah. And I just, once I was done with that, I was like, all right, well, I'll just take a break and kind of give myself like some time off and uh, get ready for the next year. And, you know, took like two or three months off from like posting content. And mm-hmm. then come uh, March, I started like gearing back up and getting content out. So um, for me, like there's a year that I tried doing snowboarding content. Mm-hmm. Cause I know there's a lot of overlap, but I don't know if it's because of uh, the content itself, the algorithm, uh, not knowing what to do with a different sort of or a different kind of content. Um, mm-hmm. Like the first video did okay. And then the second video, like I could tell, like it wasn't even being shown to any of uh, my like subscript or subscribers. That's weird. That's like, weird how the algorithm does that stuff. Yeah. Like for example, like one video had like a hundred thousand views and like the next video, I don't even think it broke 15,000. Yeah. That's crazy. But sometimes, man, it's like, it's so hard to know, like, is that the algorithm or is it like, you just had a shitty thumbnail or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like I, sometimes I wish like, um, it would just tell you, um, I mean, you can, yeah. you can, you can tell, uh, based on click through rate. Right. Only, right. Only to a point. Right. Or you could tell like, oh, well, all the people that did click it, they watched the video like almost the whole way through. So it must be a good video. It's just getting the people to actually click it but i don't know and it's there's so many like there's so much guesswork that you could make an argument for almost anything you know you could be like well maybe the people that actually are the ones that clicked it are just the type of people that are going to watch the whole video you know what i mean like like you could just take yourself down like a statistical nightmare you know yeah i think like one of the best things i did was i i pay attention to the analytics but I stopped obsessing over them. There was like a time where I was like really trying to like, you know, like drill down and try and like decipher like different things. And at some point it's like, it's just, if you're spending more time doing that and like it's restricting you from making content, it tells you like some really important things and you should be aware of what it's telling you. But at some point it's okay to have content that is not like, tailored for the algorithm and it might yeah. not do as well but you know it's just like different filmmakers have different styles of filmmaking some mm-hmm. of them are like super popular quentin tarantino and then some of them uh they're they're more of a cult classic or maybe mm-hmm. just like uh they never they're just for a very small group of people yeah 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 it's interesting to think about for sure it's definitely um it's, it's something that you can let control you or like motivate you or, um, there's just so many like ups and downs with, with that, the st- the stats and looking at them. And I try to do my best to just not pay attention at all and just make the content that I want to make and whatever's going to happen is going to happen, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think there's definitely some, like, if you completely ignore it, you're you're definitely not going to make it but if you like completely obsess over it you're also probably not going to make it unless you just have the resources to like make all those things happen Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i hear you 
back to the winter thing. I remember seeing you did a video. I want to say you had like a ski bike or something like that. And you built some like half pipe kind of thing in your backyard. Like yeah. Little, little course, little tabletops and stuff. Yeah. Well, so like in the winter, uh, a lot of times uh, we turn like the immediate backyard where our septic um, and like leach field is. We'll uh -huh. turn that into a bit of a uh, snow skate course. Yeah. Didn't you like climb on the roof or something like that? And you like jumped yeah, off the uh, roof. <laughs> last year, we, uh, I climbed up on uh, the roof of our uh, garage and uh, jumped off that. Yeah. What were you thinking when you were climbing up there? Were you like, this is probably a bad idea? Uh, definitely. But also like <laughs> our neighbors were like out there too. So they were like, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's always fun, you know. So little, I think stuff like that. I mean, it caught my my attention, and I I don't watch all your content, so it was definitely like good to see some like kind of other than biking stuff out there over the winter. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, that one that one was fun because like I wanted to do more with it, um, mm -hmm. but because of how how much snow we got, mm -hmm. it was actually hard to move on that. It was a snow scooter. It was basically like a razor scooter that had a snowboard cut in half on the bottom yeah um, yeah and it was like it's actually like super fun uh -huh. but uh you don't really float over snow like you would on a snowboard there's not as much surface area uh so you kind of sink yeah so you you almost need packed snow for it uh-huh or, or a really steep hill so like we tried bringing it out into uh some of our mountain bike features and it's like i just tomahawked myself off like into the <laughs> snow <laughs> Just looking for an injury, right? Yeah, and like, like the worst part about it is Haley had just uh, come off uh, uh, getting uh, some hardware removed, uh, so she had surgery to get some hardware removed from her ankle, and so uh -huh. she's like in her kind of like, two, like I think it was her first or second week out of surgery, hobbling around the snow, filming oh. me walking around in the woods doing that, and I was like, like. If this like starts hurting you, just please tell me that you can't go any further. <laughs> right, right. Because yeah, like definitely. when like the snow gets like a foot deep, it is a chore to like go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes back home it would like rain after you got a bunch of snow, and then you would have like this coating of ice on top of the snow. Does that happen up there sometimes? Where, oh yeah, where you're actually oh, yeah. like able to like. It's almost like you're on an ice skate rink, but like on top of the snow. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes like you'll have like a decent layer of snow, um, like eight inches and you'll have like, uh, you know, probably inch thick worth of uh, ice. Yeah. And if you try to like snowboard or something on that, what ends up happening is if you're like nose dives any bit below the surface, you can't get it back up. Cause it's like the surface tension is just like, I mean, you can, if you like, got lucky but a lot of times right. like you get sucked under uh <laughs> and you're you're done yeah. <laughs> you're going straight to your face at some point right right so do you just use snow sports to keep yourself fit during the winter or you just kind of like come back into spring and, and get after it or i am terrible at working out mm -hmm. i've i think the last time we talked uh that year we uh, used bouldering as what we did in winter to keep ourselves busy, which was really fun. Um, mm -hmm. But then after the pandemic, um, it was like, yeah, I don't think 
being in a confined indoor space in the middle of winter with a bunch of other people is like the best place to be right now. Right. Um, <laughs> so we ended up like not uh, renewing our gym membership. And I, th- I think there was one year that we did a lot of snowboarding. Um, mm-hmm. Then that interest kind of fizzled out. Like you're seeing a pattern here. Um, yeah. So uh, next year it was like snow skates. We were really into that. And then that kind of fizzled out. Um I think last year in this, like, I wouldn't say this is necessarily an interest, but we've been doing a lot more of uh, Apple Fitness, uh, Mm -hmm. Apple Plus workouts. And, man, I always found those TV workouts to be so cheesy. Like, and I hate to say it, I actually kind of enjoy, like, just going down in the basement doing, like, a 15, 20-minute Pilates. And I didn't even know what Pilates was until I started doing it. And you know what? Like, when you come back and you're freaking, like, cores on fire and you're like uh glutes are on fire and after just doing it for 10 minutes you're like what the hell like have i been <laughs> missing that this stupid little tv workout is making me do yeah yeah um so like that's been something that i've been doing a lot more recently because i've i've always had a pretty weak core i've been pretty um athletic otherwise but like in terms of my core is probably a thing that i've uh was my biggest weakness. So for yeah. me, just doing that kind of stuff, um, honestly, I have to say, like, I'll give Apple every credit. Like, they're, those workouts are, like, they're pretty good. Like, they're a pretty good, well-rounded workout. And, like, it will target some muscles that you didn't even know you have. Like, and this is, like, you know, in the past, I've gone to the gym and just done kind of more of, like, um, your typical, like, uh, barbell and dumbbell, like, routines, Mm-hmm. And or like you know even like throwing in some uh, like uh, elastic band kind of stuff like mm-hmm. you know the Apple like fitness stuff like it's it's not bad. Yeah, is it led by a person or like a? Yeah, I think that's where that's why like I've like you know I'm not gonna do it every day, but um, it feels a little bit more social. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of why I don't hate it. Um, so, but I mean, just, like on the screen, is it like a person like standing there, like telling you like, Hey, do this. Or is it just like a picture and it's telling yeah. you. So like, so there's, they have like the same uh, fitness studio that they use in every video. Um, but it's actually three people. They have like kind mm-hmm. of the leader and mm-hmm. then they have like two modifiers. They have someone who's doing the same workout, but doing it a step below. So if you're like, you find something's too difficult, you kind of pay attention to what they're doing. And then you have someone who's doing the same workout, but a step above. So it, oh. it gives you some like wiggle room to, yeah. uh, if you like find that like something's just becoming too difficult, you can kind of drop down without really stopping the workout. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the one thing that's tough about like Pilates or yoga when you first get started. And if you were just to go to some, some place, like they expect everybody in there like knows what down downward dog is or like, you know what I mean? And you're like, just standing there like, uh, kind of copy what other people are doing, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Cause I, I'm super self-conscious. Um, I'm, yeah. I, one of the things I had, I struggled with most is going to like a regular gym and trying to do, um, something that I haven't done before. And I'm trying to learn the movement. Like while I'm there, mm-hmm. I always found that super nerve wracking or just, Anytime I'd go to the gym, I I found that to just be a very nerve wracking uh, place to be. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a place I ever felt comfortable. I didn't like it. Like I like going to 
kind of like the corners where no one like there was nobody and i'd kind yeah. of like try to figure out how to make a workout happen there but if yeah. like there's a ton of people looking like i'd also go at the off hours like after eight o'clock uh, at night or something and like yeah. the weird times um yeah. but you know now that i can do it in the comfort of my own home like you don't care about looking like an idiot yeah so it's like now, like I think I'd be a little bit more comfortable going into like a group Pilates session. I don't think I'd do it, but like I feel like just learning in my own home, much like every other skill I've ever learned, I can learn it at my own pace and kind of mm -hmm. like uh, not worry about being made fun of. Because yeah, for some reason that's still like something like that. Like I'm scared of like it's like just people like ah that guy's not doing it right. Yeah, he should be doing it this way. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how how things from I don't know your childhood or whatever come like still affect you even whenever logically you can think about it like like you know there's probably nobody in a Pilates class looking at somebody that's just like screwing it all up and thinking like like they want to make fun of them they're probably just like oh look that guy's just starting good for him you, you know what I mean like but in your head you're you're like oh everybody's laughing at me and you know. Yeah, uh, totally. Uh, I mean, it's like same with mountain biking. Like, I I don't really notice when there's a new rider. It's just like, oh, you're getting into sport. Awesome. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I prefer to work out at home though. I've had you know the gym experience and and the home experience, and I think for me, the reason I like it at home more is just because I feel like I can just like be more efficient about it. Like, like I could get out, get the work workout done. I don't have to spend the time driving somewhere and driving back, and I don't have to like wait for some other guy that's on that one machine that I want to use or whatever, or, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I, I personally just really enjoy having a, a gym at home, but um, I will say that there's something to be said for, for going somewhere. Like it's easier to like maybe motivate yourself, I guess you could say, cause you're like, you have to go. And then it's like, you're there now I have to do it. You know? Yeah. So I have two points to that one. You kind of just alluded to, like there's something about accountability of other people being there, they saw you walk through that door. If you yeah. leave in 10 minutes, whether they paid attention to you or not, yeah. in, your, in the back of your head, they saw you walk through that door. So you better be there for, you know, 45 minutes before you decide to walk out. Right, right. Um, so I felt like going to a gym, there is a little bit more accountability in that sense. Mm -hmm. So you like, um, so you'd, if you went, like you were committed. Yeah. However, in terms of like working out at home, like, I always found it really easy to like, yeah, I'm really bored of this one set. I'm done. Like, I'm not going to do like, like my last set. I'm just, you know, you know, I'm, yeah, the, the coffee maker is right over there. I can go make a cup of coffee and, uh, you know, watch YouTube yeah. videos. I, I don't usually struggle with that. For me, it's more, um, I'm really good at procrastinating. So then it's like, you know, originally I wanted to work out at nine and then it's next thing you know, it's 1 PM and I'm like, Oh God, I got to do it. And, you know, and then it, then it starts turning into this, this weight that I'm carrying around instead of just like getting it done, you know? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, like that's the other thing that I've kind of enjoyed about the Apple fitness stuff is like, it's like 10 minutes is like super quick. Like if I'm making oatmeal, I can start like, you know, put the, you know, saucer on the stove, put the like oats in, turn the water on low, go downstairs, do a workout, 
10 minutes and be up. Hey, my, my breakfast is ready. So it's like a good <laughs> like way to like, if I'm going to be waiting around, I might as well like make that time useful. Yeah. The other thing is like, none of the workouts are the same. So it's always a little bit different. Right. And I, as much as I am a creature of comfort where I like kind of um, a, some kind of a routine, uh-huh. I hate predictability. Right. And if I know like some, like if, if I get into a monotonous schedule, like that to me is the scariest thing ever. Like if I know like, all right, here's a, like, here's a time, like here's a workout where we need to do, um, I don't know, uh, what's something I hate doing. Um, I don't think burpees. Burpees are right. Yes. Something like, like, oh man, I, I hate that. Like, I, like, no, all the workouts are different. You don't know what's coming up and it's kind of like, it's like, oh crap, we're doing this. Well, well, I guess we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can, I can relate with you there. Cause there are certain things like I, I would tend to like do sets of three, but each set is like, like three different exercises. And there would always be one where it'd be like, oh man, I don't want to do those stupid flutter kicks or whatever it is. You know, it's like, you'd be like kind of loathing it knowing it's coming up. So if you're watching that video instead, you don't know what's coming in until like, oh, well, now I guess that's what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Anything with like abs, like our core workout, like you usually have to like count to like high numbers or like wait like a few minutes if you're doing planks or something. And it's like, it was really easy to like, to talk like, all right, well, 25 is pretty close to 50. So yeah, we'll stop here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like most of my fitness happens through riding. Mm-hmm. So do you I, do any kind of like trainer or anything like that during the winter? No, I, no. I, I tried doing that, uh, for, uh, when I was doing collegiate stuff and you know, it just, again, it like, it becomes very monotonous. Yeah. Uh, like it's, it's not like, it's hard to get yourself onto it. And then once you're on it, it's like, Oh, this isn't too bad. And then like, 15 minutes later, like, yeah, this sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I bought one of those trainers from a friend of mine that was selling his cause he like was upgrading or something. And, uh, it's been in my garage for like two years. I've never used it. <laughs> just like completely pointless because for me, it's just, I'd rather just ride my bike. And if the weather's crappy, then I'm not riding my bike. You know, <laughs> I'm very much, I, with everything I've done in my life, if I'm not enjoying it or like enjoying the process, mm-hmm. I just I have no interest in it. Like, it's not that like I get a really good workout from trail building. Like, right. Any like anytime I do any like, basically every other week uh, throughout the summer we've done a lot of trail building and like there are rocks that most people come to like oh yeah we can't move that rock and you know I'm, I look at it with Haley I'm like yeah we we can move that rock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do and, it. And like, so like, I come back from my trail work day and like, I'm completely drenched in sweat. Like my, like, out, like my fitness tracker is like, yeah, like even though you weren't tracking a workout, like you, uh, you did a workout. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually had a rotator cuff issue for the, that I've been like trying to get to heal. And it took me a while to realize, but it was trail work was what was like screwing it up like I was overusing my shoulder doing building. And, um, it was finally like, once I kind of made sense of that, I was like, Oh, okay. Well 
I can slow down on that a little bit because you're right, man. It's a big workout. And it's, you'll be out there maybe sometimes all day, excuse me, all day long. And so it's like eight hours of chucking debris or whatever. Like it's, it you're, you're smoked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you, unless you're doing this like bench cutting where you're just kind of like swinging a McLeod or pickaxe, like a lot of times, like there's a lot of different movements that you're doing. Yeah. And it's kind of a good way just to keep moving. And I yeah. that's why as much as I like building in the excavator, I also like hand building just as much because it's just an easy way to trick yourself into getting a workout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um didn't know how much that I liked trail building until I, I got serious into this one trail that that um some friends and I were building and uh before that, I had done some trail work days, but I never really like took something from earth to rideable. And uh, man, it's so rewarding to to be able to ride something and and be challenged by it at the end of it, and and think like there was nothing here, you know, before, and now there's like people with Strava times on it that are you know. 10 times faster than yours. And you're like, that's just crazy. You know, I, I feel like I actually, I, I go back and forth, whether I like trail building or riding more, Uh huh. like throughout the summer, depending on when you ask me that question, I'll give you a different answer. Yeah. Um, I very much like taking a piece of land. Like oddly enough, I really like working with water and figuring out how to drain things. Mm -hmm. looking at something and be like, how do I use the materials that are immediately in my uh, area and making mm -hmm. something out of that? Mm -hmm. And um, how, how do I make sure that it's resistant to like uh, rainstorms? Like, so it's a, it's a, it's a big puzzle. And then it's also exercise. And then yeah. at the end, you're left with a statue or some kind of proof that you, you did all this work. Yeah. Most people won't know how much work went into it, but you remember. Yeah. You definitely start to appreciate other trails more after you've built some too, you know, and like, you'll, you'll be like, man, that freaking rock work right there, that must've took forever to get like dialed the way that it is or something like that. Or I don't know. I, I know like, like uh, I've taken some guys, up on the the in the area that i was building that really haven't built before and they would see come to like some section and they'd be like oh we we can't do anything here and it'd be like no we just gotta pile some rocks and do this and do this and it'll be totally rideable and they're just looking at you like you're crazy dude like this is ridiculous <laughs> you know so. yeah i one of my favorite things is just like kind of going back to that initial rock thing is like when People are like, yeah, we can't move this or we can't build something here. It's like, we can build something here. Like, there's like, uh, there's a lot of dirt like that you can get from the, the ground if you like look at it the right way or approach it the right way. It's like, um, I, I feel like once you show people that that can be done, they're like, oh, wow, that wasn't as hard as I expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely been some sections where it's like, yeah, you just got to bench cut the shit out of this and push a bunch of those rocks down the hill and next thing you know, you'll have, you know, a berm or something, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a very enjoyable. It's, it's enjoyable in a way that I, I, I did not understand when people were talking about it online before 
I actually kind of got into it, you know? Yeah. This year, um, one of the things that we've been doing is, uh, so one of the local chapters, uh, they've been putting in an adaptive trail network. Oh, cool. Um, and so we've been kind of, uh, volunteering since like the beginning. Um, but it's very different to build a, um, cause we were mainly focused on staying on the climb first and then the downhill, we, we got to the downhill at the end of this year, but initially we we're just doing the climbing. It is really hard to or really different to build a tra- uh, climbing trail for an adaptive bike because off camera is not something you can have. Oh yeah. Okay. And the turning radius is a lot different than you'd expect. Obviously you'd expect it to be wide, but the way that it like that it is wide, they turn more like a tractor trailer and less of a nice smooth arc. Uh, okay. Um, and so just like learning how to build a trail or a climbing trail for that has been really interesting. I don't know about you, but man, climbing trails are mentally just difficult because for whatever, I, I don't know, at least the ones that I've built, it, it's like, I mean, like you're building something that is necessary, but not ne- necessarily something that is fun. You know what I mean? So like, for me, it's like, God, I just want this to be over. And then you're trying, but you're still trying to keep the slope. So it's not ridiculous. But at the same time, you want to like, you want it to be steeper because you want it to be done quicker. You know what I mean? It's funny. I think because I hate climbing so much, I actually enjoy building climbing trails more. Oh, there you in go. In some like weird way where yeah. like, or maybe I don't enjoy building them more, but I'm like very conscious of what makes a climbing trail good and what makes a tri- climbing trail bad. Yeah. And so I'm, I, I'm really good at making sure that things are laid out in such a way that there's not going to be any like crappy, like gut, like sucking punches. Right. <laughs> I totally know where you're coming from there. The, 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 the shitty part is when you're building with other friends that don't care about the gut sucking punches and they're like putting them in and then you're coming there and you're like, oh, dude <laughs> yeah I, I i'd also say i'm pretty good at fixing other people's uh tra- trails and making them more palatable yeah 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 how do you um how 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 do you get from like kind of uh a walkthrough to actually something being like dialed i at least for me i i've probably gotten better at it, you know, over time, but initially I would, you know, you'd put a bunch of turns and twists in. And then once you actually got on your bike, you'd be like, this needs to be straighter. Or that's just like, it's not fun. It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like, are you at a point right now where you can like nail it on the first try or. I I don't think anyone quite is. Um, I think you're able to adapt. Like when you realize like, ah, this turn's going to be tighter than I thought it was going to be. You can, then tailor the trail to kind of, um, I guess, overcome the trail layout. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've definitely gotten better at that. Like, as far as like the process, it's still, you know, I've been building for over a decade now. And uh, it's still one of those things where like, I find downhills to be a little bit trickier to build because sometimes you don't realize how much speed you're going to be carrying in a certain spot. Yeah. Um, 
and then not to mention like you know depending on the like soil type like or like depending on the time of the year it's like oh i didn't realize that when the snow is melting this whole section right here is just like super wet until like mid-june mm -hmm. so like learning how to like for me it's taking a while to learn how to read the landscape a little bit better mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting yeah for me the area that i'm building in you don't really have line of sight until you clear out all of the the shrubs and stuff the, the manzanita and whatnot so you're really just kind of guessing and then once you have something cleared out then you can kind of dial it in more i always look at places like your property or some other people like where i see like seth building where i'm like man that'd be so rad to be able to like walk through and put down flags first you know yeah it's funny like so because i uh both Haley and i went to school in north carolina that's where we met um like we both were uh took part in building a trail uh on our school campus that was um half a mile long through rhododendron and just like mm -hmm. kind of um and it was the first time i ever used a machete um to mm -hmm. build a trail because like you're just kind of hacking in uh, like in the dark like you kind of had an idea of where you're trying to head and you just kind of yeah. bushwhacked your way through it and um you know this was like happened to be a forest where there's a bunch of old growth uh hemlocks that had gone infested by a beetle so like you'd sometimes get to a point where there's a giant like hemlock that like this is a, not basically the size of sequoia that had fallen now mm -hmm. you have to go around it right <laughs> um yeah. but you know you know backing off of that coming to uh the, our property now like where you know you do have line of sight it's not it's still not quite that easy because like there's a lot of sections oops sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> uh there's a lot of sections where there's uh the root systems are at the top of the soil because it's really wet uh-huh so you have to build up and over that you can't and like or it's really rocky so like there's other challenges like yeah you can see but you can also see it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I would fly a drone over top of where we were at so that I could see what we did. And then like maybe some major like, hey, there's a huge pine over there. And I can kind of like head in that direction. And that's basically the only thing that we could use to really kind of like point the trail. Otherwise, it's just like, I mean, you're you're just blindly going through clearing it out yeah i think one of the harder things for me is it's really easy to look at a trail and be like all right here's point a here's point b draw a straight line that's where the trail goes mm -hmm. but when you ride a trail that's just straight it's it's boring like you, right. you want like it's not the trail that so you like figuring out how to add some unnecessary turns to it yeah or unnecessary undulations or something to give a trail a little bit of character so it's not just a straight line where it right. doesn't need to be um turning right like that right. can be really tricky yeah and I, I found also like trying to make the turns big enough for the speed you know that's i think the thing i was talking about earlier is like and and when you mentioned afterwards the speed it, it kind of really made made me think about it is like 
we would put in some turns and it would be like, as you were walking, you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be really cool. But then once you're actually riding it at trail speed going down, you're like, this is just way too tight. So you got to like, maybe like turn those four twisty turns into two bigger twisty turns, you know? I, I think another thing that a lot of people disregard is line of sight while you're riding. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to like put a turn really close to a big tree going around mm-hmm. it on the outside. But that big tree is obscuring your like vision quite a bit. Yeah. So if you took that and then just pushed it out by like five feet, like if you can, like generally you can see through that turn a lot better and you're going to have a lot more flow. Yeah. Yeah. So now instead of like using trees as like um, slalom poles that you're trying to slalom around, I almost Mm -hmm. do the opposite where I see like a big tree and that's where the uh, outside of the turn is going to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So cut on the inside of it then. Yeah, exactly. Right on. What, um, what's your, let, let's, uh, maybe switch gears a little bit as far as riding then. So is your riding style more like you, you enjoy the techie chunky stuff or you in stuff like the more flowy or equal <sighs> opportunity? <laughs> I, anything that's not endurance. Yeah. I, I really like anything that challenge challenges me in a technical way uh-huh uh so it could be a te- like a techie climb as long as it like doesn't last too long like if it's like a if i can see the top like yeah like that's fun um so i think anything that's skill based is generally what i like so generally more natural stuff but coming from a dirt jump background i like to find flow in technical sections Hmm. Um. So, f- if you're asking me which do I prefer, it's hard because I kind of like a hybrid. It's a hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Like, I think the best trails are the trails that are, um, they're natural trails with some man-made features to help you carry th- speed through some slow sections. Hmm. Um. They're not flow trails. They're not jump trails. They're not downhill trails. They're kind of, you're seeing them pop up more and more. They're kind of like this hybrid where they leave some stuff natural, but then they like build a nice berm to carry you up and over the next kind of flat natural bit to, to like the next like part. And I think those are the trails I enjoy riding the most. Yeah. It makes sense. Do you, um, um, do you notice that as your skill set gets better and better that it's harder and harder for you to find enjoyment and maybe some stuff that you used to ride? No, because like as one skill set is getting better, another skill set is getting worse. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm not refining and using that. So just by going back to an old skill or like, for example, like a lot of times in the winter, I'll like jump on my dirt jumper again and go ride skate parks. Mm-hmm. And I used to like ride skate parks all the time. Now I don't do much of that at all. So anytime I go back to a skate park, I have to like relearn. Um, you have to be so much more precise with your wheel placement on a quarter pipe. Mm-hmm. And like what is a very like, square edge. Like you have to be so much more precise. Um, that takes me a little bit of time to like learn how to ride a hardtail again and learn how to like uh, know where my wheels are. Once I mm-hmm. figured that out, I can start having fun again. Um, but there's like a learning process in that. And like that kind of happens every year where like I learn some new things, 
on my dirt jumper throughout the winter. Then I get back to springtime and um, uh, jump on my normal bike and I can use some of those skills I learned on a dirt jumper in the summer. So do you think that, um, that people should be using a dirt jumper and, and like as part of learning how to mountain bike, like going out and riding like a, a BMX part or whatever you want to call it? That's hard to say. Cause like, I don't want to tell people to go out and buy another bike yeah. and like learning, you know, if you like learn to use your tool in different situations, like that's more handy than having a bunch of like very specific use tools. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's definitely helpful, but mm -hmm. I feel like dirt jumpers, um, for a long time have been a very niche audience. Cause like they're for the longest time there, we haven't had these like sick, uh, paved pump tracks in like every major city. Mm -hmm. Um, so now it's becoming more worth it to get a dirt jumper. And there's definitely a lot of really useful skills you can learn from it. Like I still think the most underrated skill is pumping mm -hmm. and you will learn that if you ride a pump track. Yeah. I actually didn't know how to pump until I rode a pump track. That, that's definitely, I, I can hundred percent agree with you on that one. Cause like, and now what? I use it all the time, like mountain biking, like all the time, all the time, you know? Yeah. What, whether you're turning, jumping or trying to get more traction, like you're pumping. Yeah. Like you, you come to like an off-camera root section that you know is slippery. Yeah, you might not realize that you're pumping it, but you're essentially unweighting your bike, which is what a pump is. And yeah. like kind of flow over the off-camera roots to the next point you have traction. And then like you push into the ground more to get traction to get you uh, over the next section. So like that, like pumping is not very... Uh, cool looking i mean it is but it's not like the it's not flashy it's not like learning right. how to bunny hop um, right. but pumping is way way more useful yeah i just didn't realize like how how you could use it to actually gain speed and um in in lieu of of pedaling and especially in like situations where you are able to pump usually you're not able to pedal mm -hmm. you, you know what i mean so like I didn't realize that until I was doing a, like a pump track and you would, you know, let's just say it's a, like a big clock. Right. You know? And by the time you got back around to like 10 o'clock, you're like, just freaking mock Jesus. You're like actually having to use your brakes while you're, you know, coming around 12 and, um, where like beforehand, you know, like maybe the first time I ever got to the pump track, I was getting to six o'clock and running out of speed. Right. So then you like learn that and you're on the trail now. And you come through some section that's like got dips like that. And instead of just losing your speed, you pump through it. And now you're coming out the, the other end like a rocket. And um, I just totally didn't even know that that was a possibility. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where people don't realize how useful it is until like they experience it. Because like for yeah. a lot of New England trails, like you can mash over the rocks and roots or you can pump your way through it. And a lot of times pumping is way more efficient and you're not risking hitting your pedals. And yeah. like, you know, that's what I was just going to say. That pedal strike is definitely like that. That's the thing that you, the, the pumping like saves you from because if you're trying to pedal through those, unless they're like exactly the right space for the speed that you're going, 
there's a good chance that you're going to hit a pedal. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially with how low bottom brackets have become. Right, right, definitely. What do you um, what do you enjoy about working with GT? That you know they're not one of the bigger name brands, so not everybody's super familiar with their their bikes. Like when I was a kid, GT was a household name because the BMX was like the, the all there was. But now they're definitely not. You know, they're not like a Yeti. You know what I mean, or a Santa Cruz or something. Sure, sure. Uh, well, their parent company is now the same parent company yeah, as right. Santa Cruz. <laughs> um, so maybe they are. <laughs> um, anyway, it, so I I like working with like smaller. I mean, GT is not a small company, but on like if you're comparing it to like you know Specialized or Trek, yeah, they're smaller. Um, mm -hmm. So you kind of know the people who work at the company better. Like I'm really good friends with uh, one of their main engineers before I started riding for GT. Mm -hmm. So just like having like a better, like a more, um, uh, what's the word? Um, just like a closer relationship with the company. Mm -hmm. um, like so a family for, kind of environment. Exactly. And so like, um, you know, one of my, like the, the people I talk to, like they're friends. They're not mm -hmm. just people who work at the company. Right. And I think that's like, uh, a lot of times you look at the people who have been with the GT, they've been with the GT for a long time. Yeah. Whether it's Tyler McCall, whether it's uh, um, with Tom Masters. Gray. Yeah. It, like a lot of these people have been with the company for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, they're like, you know, they're, they treat their, like, I'm kind of in this weird spot where I'm technically on the athlete side of things. But mm -hmm. um, so they treat their athletes with respect. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, over, like, for example, um, when you get injured, sometimes there will be some contracts for different racers where, uh, they'll lose out on money if they're not competing. Mm -hmm. Um, or if they, you know, a pandemic comes up, like they might not get that money. Like GT mm -hmm. tends to treat their like riders, like they're actual people mm -hmm. They're So like, I don't know what other, the other athletes contracts are like, but generally like, um, you hear about situations where like a rider, like just, you know, they got a concussion and they, they're on the fence. Like, well, my, my next paycheck depends on whether I race or not. That kind of mm -hmm. takes that question, uh, out for you. Cause now you're like, okay, what's best for me. Mm -hmm. And it's probably to sit out and not do the race. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like YouTubers and, um, racers are kind of like having a better relationship with companies now compared to like, I, I would say a few years back that YouTubers were definitely a lot of companies didn't even really acknowledge them, you know? And I think that um, maybe racers really felt like YouTubers were kind of dipping in their, their pockets or something. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird, like weird thing. Cause like, I feel like I've, kind of been like on both ends mm -hmm. and I never really felt like I made it as a racer. And that's an, why, like I was looking for other ways to make uh biking a living, even though I had like the skill set mm -hmm. and I was doing really well. Like I didn't have the networking skills to get those sponsorships. So mm -hmm. I ended up just paving my own path and um, started doing YouTube before almost anyone else was doing YouTube. 
So mm-hmm. I, I got lucky to be at the right place at the right time. But for me, um, I I look at it as racers prove the validity of a pro- product. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it kind of like, hey, this is what marketing says. But so-and-so also just went ahead and raced that bike and just won the World Cup or the EWS or mm-hmm. um, whatever race on that bike. Mm-hmm. It shows that it's at least capable of doing what you hope it's capable of doing. Right. However, um, those athletes are spending a lot of time um, training uh, and doing all these things to get to that level. And right. not all of them have the bandwidth to also be able to play around on YouTube and make videos. Right. So, you know, I don't know how Bernard Kerr is doing it. Like, that that guy is an absolute madman. Like, you know, top five at World Cups, and still running a really good YouTube channel like that, mm-hmm. and 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 a team and all the other things he has going on. Like that dude is an absolute madman, right? But not every athlete uh, has the like capacity to do that, and right. I don't think all of them should. Um, I think right. I think it's good to have people who are pure racers and people who are more content creators. And the, the term that people used to use was lifestyle athletes. And there are plenty of um, professional skiers, professional mountain bikers who would do more photo shoots versus competitions. Right. A lot of times these people still came from like a professional competition background. So now the question is more or less like, well, there's a lot of people on YouTube who aren't coming from a professional background background in terms of competition creating mm-hmm. content i think that's where a lot of athletes are like kind of confused and i think the, the thing is like from a brand standpoint you need people who are relatable you need people mm-hmm. who can kind of like help you know a brand might have this product but there maybe the marketing didn't help uh get some of the points home the the youtuber or the content creator is a little bit more relatable can kind of like help um do a better job explaining what some of those uh like strengths or weaknesses are mm-hmm. or just kind of like help uh bring you know like there's a lot of companies that don't make products uh geared at athletes mm-hmm. they're they're just trying to like uh target people who just want to go out on the weekend to ride and right, right. like there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Definitely. So I think there's yeah. like a big spectrum and you're trying to like touch different points. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. It's, um, it, you, you could see that, you know, like when I first started doing YouTube, there was definitely more of a apprehension to YouTubers and, and I feel like that's changing, but I agree with you that, um, the amount of time that it takes to be an amazing athlete, like next to like a few, you know, superstars of some sort, like for the most part, you're not going to have time to run a YouTube channel. And the same way to like have a really successful YouTube channel, like you're not going to have enough time to like be the athlete to compete at that level. And there will be some anomalies like, you know, who you mentioned and, and whatnot, but for the most part, like, I feel like they're separate, you know, and at the end of the day, um, they both have their place in, in helping companies sell their product. 
So it's cool to see that that YouTubers are actually starting to get, you know, some kind of of um, like companies are understanding that they actually can help, you know. Yeah, I think I think there's some companies that still don't quite get it. Yeah. Um, and I I say this. I think a lot of the mountain bike media still doesn't quite get it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who are photographers and whatnot are for, former racers. So they have like a bias towards the racing aspect or the competition aspect. Yeah. And I, I've found that like, since I don't compete anymore, sometimes my, I guess, credibility is like called into question. Uh -huh. <laughs> and That's so, like, yeah, I feel like, the sport has revolved so much about like so much around racing that like it's it's hard to completely get away from that yeah yeah it's interesting it's definitely interesting it'll, it'll be interesting to see where it goes and especially with younger kids now that are you know social media is kind of built into them growing up and it's not like somebody that maybe spent half of their career just having to race and not having to have any kind of social media presence and now having to learn how to do that too. You know, like I feel like, like there's a little more pressure on, on racers now, like, Hey, you have to have an Instagram and a, and a Facebook or and a whatever that's like got a decent following to help promote even more where it's like before you only had to, had to be like good at, at riding bikes, you know? I mean, one of the reasons why I started like doing social media was because I was, you know, I was sponsored by a brand. Remember, I wasn't getting paid, so this was flow. But mm -hmm. during conversation, um, they were talking about one of the, our top athletes on the team um, who we went to Sea Otter and he didn't uh, post anything on social media or didn't do anything to help uh, the brand. I was like, oh, that's interesting because, you know, I never really thought about that, yada, yada. Like, you know, this is like when I was still in my teens. Um, so I felt like I was like, I like saw – I listened to everything that um, the owner said. I was like, I, I'm going to make sure I do that. And I did it. Mm -hmm. And then my sponsorship did get renewed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> That's hilarious. Man, we're, we're getting pretty close to two hours. I want to ask you something, though. I've been thinking about it since, since we've been talking. You've talked about doing a lot of different content on your channel. Um, and a lot of it different than the, the, uh, like how to videos. Do you think that you might rebrand your channel to just be like Phil Metz or like, you think you're going to stick with skills with Phil? Uh, I'm just going to keep it skills with Phil. It's at this point, like it's just a name. It doesn't matter what you're really calling yourself. People like know how to find you. So like, I, maybe like it has like a detrimental effect down that like, terms of like people see that name and like, Oh, I'm not going to watch that video. Cause I'm not really into that kind of content. I don't uh -huh. know, but I, I don't really see myself rebranding that anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've definitely thought about it, but, um, the channel name is so broad that like, it doesn't say anything bike specific Yeah, and, uh, it's just skills with me. So it doesn't yeah. matter what skill I'm doing. So, so it could be I, trail building skill or whatever it is. Yeah. Depending on how you want to interpret that. Like you can look right. at it in many different ways. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's a good point, man. Right on dude. How many, how many people have you got on your, uh, 
all your social media telling you that you need to grow the big mustache back. You know what? Not mustache. not that many. Not that many. Not that, it, no. people, didn't, people didn't lose their mind over it. No, it kind of went away su- subtly and not many people noticed. I was like, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I was stoked that like, I, I kind of let that fade away. And uh, I got like, I, st- I get more, uh, more people telling me that I cut my hair. I'm like, dude, I cut my hair years ago. <laughs> people just didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. I, I just like, I only get like one or two hair or like one to three haircuts in a year. So it's like, gets kind of long but not that long right 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 on man well dude it was super fun super fun chatting with you like like usual so i definitely had a good time and um appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with chat with me man it's super super good good time catching up with you again it's been way too long you planning on going out to uh seattle or sedona this year um sedona i'm more uh interested in seattle i actually was supposed to go to this year uh, but literally the day of, like, I was like, ah, I don't feel good. I, I tested positive for COVID. So I was like, oh, no. well, like, I didn't really want to go anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> that problem. Um, but Sedona is something that every year, like, because it's at the beginning of March and mm-hmm. we still have like a ton or like, we're still like barely coming out of the winter at that point. Mm-hmm. It always comes up so quickly. So by the time I think about uh, Sedona, I haven't even made plans. It's too late. It's too late. Well, maybe, so, maybe I'll see you there this year then. Huh? Yeah. Well, I, I might be there. I might not. Huh? Uh, I'm Schrodinger, Schrodinger's Phil. <laughs> yeah. I should, I should send you a reminder in like December or something like that. Remember you, you, you want to go to Sedona. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said a minute ago, dude, I really appreciate you hanging out with me. All of you guys that have listened the whole time. I appreciate you guys as well. Hit subscribe. If you're on, uh, on YouTube, maybe thumbs up if you enjoyed it. If you are listening to the podcast, like I said, do a little download or subscribe button on there. That helps some kind of algorithm. I don't know how that works, but whatever. If you could write me a review over on Apple, that'd be sweet. I, I really enjoy going over there and taking a look at them. And last but not least, swing by Facebook or Instagram. Give me a follow over there too. It helps my motivation stay high. So if you don't want to do any of that, that's rad. I totally understand. You only have to do one thing. And remember, it only takes a bike to be a biker. Get out and be one.